The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and this is my older daughter, One Morning on a School Day. Dada, help me choose out my clothes. And yes, of course, all of my life in my home takes place with a 1930s dance band playing in the background. That, for those of you who might want to know, is Cole Porter's Love Me, Love My Pekingese from the... 1936 movie Born to Dance that is directly from the soundtrack and in any case what interested me more in that little scene is what my daughter said choose out I'm gonna choose out her clothes what is that I only heard somebody say choose out for the first time and it was her about three years ago and I think she got it from her teachers It struck me and it got me thinking about what the topic of this podcast is going to be, how much there is in small things and how much that's very much the case in language and specifically about the word out. You can take the most random little thing and get so much out of it if you shake it like a dog grabs a bone. And so, for example, out, we all know the basic meaning of out, you know, not in. And we also know that there are metaphorical meanings. We may not use exactly that word, but a great deal, and in fact, really most of how we use the word stock of our language is in metaphorical ways. And so, for example, if you're out of the game, you you can understand how you're outside of it, especially since you may be placed outside of it. We talk about out of the closet. The metaphor is clear. People are on the outs and so on. But there's a great deal more to the way we use out. Let's go back to that Harry voice from the last podcast. The word for out is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. That's what Harry would have said about out if he happened to be thinking about it. And so just first, to go back to this choose out. Choose out has been banging around in my head for rather a long time as something to just think harder about when I get a chance to sit down. And, you know, I never really do. But I've always thought, hmm, that sounds to me like a new expression to choose out something. But then you never know. So, for example, suppose you're sitting through Ben-Hur, 1959. Suppose you've decided to finally sit through that damn thing once. It's like 17 hours long. But you're just sitting there. And at one point, Charlton Heston is talking to Esther. And guess what he says? Listen to this. In the old wise days of Solomon, that was among his slaves, some girl filled his eyes. He could choose her out from the rest and take her to him. Wise days of Solomon. The language in Ben-Hur is quite standard. This is supposed to be elevated. This is supposed to be entertaining and diverting. And yet he says, choose out. And I'm quite sure that he had had no interaction with any of my daughter's daycare teachers. Choose out. In other words, there is a lesson about language that I learn all the time and that I want to stress with my listeners here, which is that so often and in fact, more often than not. When you hear something and you think it's new, 
It usually isn't. And that is true for me as well. We linguists always have to check ourselves on these things. I'm thinking, well, choose out. That's new because I hadn't happened to notice it. But really, it's that I hadn't happened to notice. And, you know, really, it makes a kind of sense once you realize that it's older because you can pick out clothes, right? And we don't think of that as interesting or idiomatic. Well, pick, choose. Choose out is a perfect analogy. You can just imagine. Why wouldn't people say choose out? I just happened not to notice it. Or, for example, change out, which can seem rather slangy today. But, boy, there's egg on my face because I did sit down and make a very minor study. And, for example, you know how in school, I mean, you never get to it after you leave school. But remember how back in school you had to read the first volume of the report of miscellaneous orders, authorities, accidents, inspections, and conference rulings of the Public Service Commission of the State of Missouri from 1914? I mean, you always say you're going to get back to it, like your Kant or something like that. Well, if you do page through it, then way back in 1914, you have something like this. And since it's back then, of course, there was a crackle in the background because there was in all of life. So, Mike, actually, could you make my voice crackly? Is there some cheap effect that we can use so that it sounds like I'm saying this in 1914? So, all of the rail is in good condition, and it was stated by the railway management that it was their intention to change out the 56 and 60 pound rail, replacing it with 75 pound rail. You want to do swap out, which to me sounds very 10 minutes ago. It goes way back to 1965. Now, I have to specify that 1965 wasn't that long ago because I have a certain personal connection to it. But it was, depending on how you might look at it, a while. And you can go into a tacky magazine and you have somebody saying, swap out your home decor for summer. So swap out your home decor. The article is very entertaining. (laughs) They describe a table gone summer, skirted to the floor in shiny laminated plastic or a gay chintz or a picture full of nothing but leaves. Why's that attractive? But it's about swapping out your home decor. And, you know, really, this usage of out is just that we like to be as explicit as possible. There is a linguist who has called it a matter of exuberance to use out in this way. And so you could technically pick your clothes, but to say pick them out allows you to get in that shade of bringing them apart from the other clothes. You are picking them out from the other clothes. Why not just say it? Swapping involves removing something from the group and then maybe putting it back into the group in some other way. So it's a kind of maximal descriptiveness that we viscerally do. And, you know, we don't mind it in many places. And so I must admit, I heard choose out and I thought that's an oddly redundant little expression. But then, you know, I have to go choose out the clothes. But think about rise up. Technically redundant. If you think about it, notice, though, that it's kind of poetic. If I say rise up, You get that little twinge in your belly, but shouldn't it really just be rise? And yet there are people who have said rise up where we wouldn't have them say anything else. Think of Martin Luther King. This is a speech that he did. I am somebody. I think this is 1967. And so every black person in this country must rise up and say I'm somebody. I have a rich proud and noble history, however painful and exploited it has been. I am black, but I am black and beautiful. 
We must come to and no, it wasn't just that day, because here is his most famous speech, which I don't even have to name. And if you don't know it, you will get the thrust of it from the clip. Once again, you've got the rise up. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So much choose out type of redundancy in language that we love. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Technically, you could say that he just joined these things, but joined together, just more vivid. You talk about, well, what happened down south? Well, generally, south is not up, and yet you say down south. Or, oh, I wept tears of joy. What else would you weep? Gatorade? Of course. But you say these things because it is vivid. And so choose out the clothes, I must admit, to let you know that although I am an anti-prescriptivist, of course, certain things rub me a little the wrong way. My daughter talking about choosing out the clothes. I thought, that's not what I'm used to. But, you know, she was just doing what language does. Other ways that out pops up. Think about outdo or to wait someone out. That's out too. And yet it's not out as in outside the bathroom door or something like that. It's as if you're using out because it means this movement away from to mean beyond, to mean surpassing something rather than just acquiring a distance from it. What's interesting is that in Old English, I don't mean English last week, but in Old English, i.e. Anglo-Saxon, those usages of out were done with over instead. You didn't outshine, you overshone. And so, for example, in the Old English version of Boethius's Consolations, there's a beautiful sentence. You can just almost, or maybe I just think this because of having a relationship with German. You can almost hear our language in this. This is the sentence. So soon or for licht so that's the sun overlit all other stars with her light. The sun was a, a girl in Old English. So the sun outlit, outshone, but that in Old English was overlit. That is that arbitrariness of prepositions. That makes other languages so hard to learn because it's almost as if they're trying to hurt people who don't speak the language natively. And so, you know, many of us in America would say different from, jump over the pond, and it's different to. Why? It's just the way it is. Or, you know, the kids today say, well, based off of what you said, and I always think to myself, mm, based on, based off, but really these things are perfectly arbitrary. I once spent a delicious summer in Montreal and come to think of it, what I'm about to say happened during a nasty winter week I spent in Montreal. But I met somebody who spoke French, believe it or not, that happened. They were a couple, come to think of it, Jeanne and Jacques. And so you had to think about je versus je. It was, it was very cute. I hope they're still together. But I remember Jacques was teaching me the difference between a sac en papier and a sac à papier. So 
a paper bag. But a sac en papier is a bag made of paper, whereas a sac à papier is a bag that's for putting paper in. Oh, come the fuck on. And yet you're just stuck with it. That's French's version. So outlet overlooked languages just flip their prepositions like that over time. And you never quite know where all of the cards are going to fall down. And so you can outdo, you can wait out in Old English. That was often to be over rather than out. But out gets even more fun when it gets more abstract. So you can talk about out meaning to go away from and surpass something in the pathway. But once you've got that, then you might also think of out as meaning not only to go beyond, but to go out and beyond to a particular conclusive and interesting extent. What is he talking about? What I mean is, for example, a kind of out where you don't think of it as having anything to do with outness. So let's work it out. Now, there's nothing outward about it. You're not going anywhere. You're going to work it out. That means to finish this thing. That means to resolve, to get back to the tonic chord. You're going to find out. Find out. It's conclusive. You found out about some unpleasant news. You have found it out. So to a conclusive extent, this is something that can happen to words. It's also happened to up in a usage of up that must deeply frustrate non-native learners. I sometimes walk down New York streets thinking to myself, it's too bad that you have to learn how to use up non-natively. I'm sure they appreciate my pity. But for example, you're frying some eggs. Shouldn't do it on too high a flame, for the record. There's a little trick to make it work. But you're frying some eggs. And then suppose somebody says, well, I fried up some eggs. Does it mean that they flipped the eggs up onto the ceiling? Does it mean that they were standing? No. It means that they finished. If they say they fried them up, that implies that they're done and that they're handing them to you wearing an apron with a smile. And I'm thinking of a man in the apron. Or... For example, to tie something, okay, it's a rather dull thing to mention, to tie something up, notice how that's more fun, and I don't just mean sexually, I mean that tied up means that you finished the tying. Or tidied, you tidied the room, well, somebody who's tidying the room and you leave it at that may not have quite done it right. You walk along and, you know, there's still cat vomit in front of the easy chair. Tidied up means that you finished it. That means that you had cleaning people over and they really did a good job and unintentionally hid half of your possessions. You fucked something. Well, okay. You fucked it up. That means that whatever happened is complete. Fucked something. That could mean any number of things. We don't even need to specify. If you fucked it up, then it's done. And now maybe you're going to unfuck it. There are linguists who talk about this as being a matter of boundedness. And so we're talking about not something open-ended that just keeps rolling along, but there's an end point to it. And that's what's interesting. What is the clip here if we're talking about working things out? Well, isn't it obvious? Here we go. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short. Yeah, the Beatles, and I adore them as all of us do. I'm shoving them down my daughter's throats. The White Album, I get it. I mean, towering artists. But you know what I don't get? You see the clips of them on the Ed Sullivan show in the beginning, and all the girls are yelling and screaming. I genuinely don't understand why they were considered so attractive 
Elvis, not long before that, he's walking around shaking his pelvis. It's clear what was compelling about that. But those guys standing there strumming on guitars and with those little haircuts. But in any case, now that we're at the intermission, I have to play this wonderful Duke Ellington number from 1932 that nobody cares about but me. And this will be the only opportunity I ever have to impose it on other people. This is called Delta Bound. So, of course, since we're talking about linguistic boundedness, have to play Delta Bound. This is just the opening part. Nobody's even singing. And I just love this to pieces. There's no intermission on this show, but there kind of should be. And I, yes, I just use that as an excuse to play this. So this is the rest of it. Now that the intermission is over, there's another strand of out that you never think about, but it's part of speaking the language. Talk about running out. I don't mean running outside of your house, but something runs out. There are competing theories as to where that comes from. Maybe it's a matter of exhausting an animal at a time when animals were closer to most people's lives than they are to ours. And I mean the kinds of animals that you would run ragged, not a cat or something. And then it might be a matter of a waterway drying out or running out. But next thing you know, you're talking about something running out. And then for one thing, you can isolate out and say, well, we're out of those. We're out of black olives. We're out of peach jello. Out what? What's out about it? You just learn that idiom and other people have to suffer who come to it as adults. Let's say that the water runs out. Well, by analogy, a candle can run out. And if that's the only kind of light you have and you talk about that a lot, next thing you know, you talk about the candle being out. You can just put the candle out. There are people who can do that with their fingers. And so the candle's out. And then by analogy, once they're electric lights, turn the light out. Out of what? Off is weird enough, but out? Well, the light is out. Well, no, the light seems to have stayed right where it was. Pretty soon, you've got knocked out, which dates only from the late 1800s. You're knocked out because your lights are metaphorically out. And then you even get something. My aunt genuinely confused me about 20 years ago when she talked about someone having fallen out. And she didn't mean that they had had an argument. She meant, and it really took me a couple days to piece out that this is what she meant. She meant that they had fainted. And that's an expression that apparently is Southern and favored especially by black people. I have read in a couple of places. But fall out to my aunt was a word for to faint. Well, why? Partly because out is as if you were knocked out. Your lights have gone 
out. So it's not falling out of a window, but out ends up being recruited for all these things because of these gradual metaphorical implications that end up just piling all over one another. You want a 1932 clip? Delta Band was 1932. You want one that actually pertains to the topic of the show? This is Rudy Valley. No more company to feed. No more papers left to read. So what's to do about it? Let's put out the lights and go to bed. Out ends up having this grand fungus-like spread because of all the sorts of things that you think it could mean based on these implications. Then you just get things which, in the present tense sense of the language, are just kind of randoms. And so, for example, help, then there's help out. Think about that those are not really the same word. You're going to help somebody. You're going to help somebody out. To help somebody out implies, for one thing, that they're not going to owe you anything in return. To help somebody out is to do something from the goodness of your heart, much less clinical than just help. So, for example, remember that Bugs Bunny cartoon where the penguin cries ice cubes and it keeps on being broken up by the running gag of Humphrey Bogart walking in and asking Bugs Bunny the following. Say, pardon me, but could you help out a fellow American who's down on his luck? See, help out a stranger. He couldn't have said, want to help a stranger who little abrupt, little grand, and a little unreasonable help out is what makes that a humanly plausible request. And by the way, it's one of those things, you grow up seeing that cartoon and you just think, well, for some reason, Humphrey Bogart is poor in that cartoon. That was actually a reference to Bogart as a poor character in the movie, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, where what he actually said was not that, but this. I must have. And yet, there was arbitrariness even there. Stake a fellow American to a meal? Why not four? But it was two. That is just how these sorts of things go. And help out is neat for this reason. One, it's one of those subtleties that you don't think about. Somebody will say, well, English doesn't have much grammar, but we have so very much grammar. It just isn't the kind of grammar that Latin has. Or just the merry morphings of language. And so when you think about Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, if I mention Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, most of you are going all gushy inside right now. Rudolph, I'm cute, I'm cute, boop, boop, all of that. But why? He's a reindeer. What is cute about a reindeer? Have you ever actually seen a reindeer? I've tasted a reindeer. They were quite good. But if you've ever seen one, they're not particularly cute. And then Reindeer with a red nose, frankly, sounds kind of disgusting. And if it's a light-up nose, that's just weird. Imagine explaining that to somebody who had never heard of it. There's this reindeer with a light-up red nose. And when I think of that, I get all gushy inside and I want to give more money to charity. That is so arbitrary. Well, out is like that in its way. So help out. Yeah, help me out. Or let's sort it out. We're having some problems. We'll sort it out. Notice that out gives you a sense of softness and resolution and even intimacy. Let it out, whatever that makes you think of. It's kind of pleasurable. Work it out. We can work it out. We can have sex with the Beatles, all of that. Out seems soft 
It's like muffins. It's like guinea pigs. It makes you feel good. Although there's nothing inherently soft about out. It's just because of a chance conglomeration of all of these different meanings, none of which began with anything having to do with soft. It was just a matter of not in. And yet out feels soft. By the way, out also is just lost as a fossil in places you'd never think of it. Utmost, that starts as utmost in Old English. Utmost is outmost or utter. So it's an utter disaster. And there are two meanings of utter, actually. It's an utter disaster that somebody would utter such a thing. That's out. And so extreme is outer. To utter is to outen, to outer something, to put something out of you. And you used to be able to say, oh my goodness, that scoundrel utters forged bills. Utters doesn't mean that he says them, he's putting them out. So that's just something to know. Anyway, one more out lesson. It's 1986. Yeah? Yeah. 1986, December 1986. And I'm in a small room on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And there is a fellow in the corner. We're listening to ancient jazz. We're listening to the original Dixieland jazz band. This is 1917. This is the first recorded jazz. And there's this fellow and he spends the whole night talking about this difference he's come up with between people being in and out. And he had this very specific meaning. It had nothing to do with sexuality. It was about artistic advancedness, roughly. And he had all these examples. And I don't really remember any of them, except that he thought that the original Dixieland jazz band was out. And what he meant was that it was pushing the envelope, that there was evidence of genius in it, that it was really cool, that it was deep, very William Burroughs kind of. And so for him, I imagine that he would agree with the judgment of the high fidelity guys that Stevie Wonder of Inner Visions was out, but Stevie Wonder of I Just Called to Say I Love You was too in. Or these days, for reasons that I'm not familiar with, Justin Timberlake seems to be accepted as out in this way. There's something apparently very cool that he's doing, whereas I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, he was considered very in. Or Al Jarreau, the wonderful singer who passed away not too long ago, apparently was upset that he was never thought of in the titanic terms of many other singers. And I would think, as much as I love him, that maybe that was partly because he wasn't an out kind of person artistically, that he wasn't somebody who was going to do something like Inner Visions. Anyway, out, in, and we're listening to this music, and I remember it was Sweet Mama. It was this cut. This is people playing and singing a little bit 98 years ago. This is essentially listening to people 100 years ago. And he's listening to this. There are two things about this that are relevant. One is that he insisted all night. We listened to this like 10 times. He insisted all night that in being about mothers and fathers and then because of something else about it, that this cut was also about uncles and aunts and cousins and in-laws. He, he heard this great profundity in it. And, you know, quite frankly, this man had partaken quite liberally of marijuana cigarettes. And I was just an observer, of course. But this is what it makes me think of. You know, 
If you're in California, and I think I'm allowed to just come out and say this, you and your friends get high. Well, what have you done? You've smoked out. You know, if you've done it good and proper, you have smoked out. Now, if you are in Williamsburg and you and your friends are going to enjoy some, I prefer pot, but I guess that makes me a little 1965 because you're supposed to say weed. So you're high. And there you go. And you've done your job. What have you done? Have you smoked out? No, you've smoked up. Why? Why? Isn't that interesting? Both of them are are bounded. They're completive. You can smoke out your friends. You can smoke up your friends. But it's out in the West, up in the East. I imagine that there are some other subtleties. You never know with words like this. There's always going to be this kind of flutter. Luckily, the high is the same on both coasts. In any case, letters. Letters. I get letters. And you know, Armenians, I'm just sorry. I am just sorry. That whole business about the irk. The truth is, For those of you who have sincerely asked this, I clearly didn't pitch the joke properly. No, my parents knew no Armenian at all, nor did they know any Albanian. And, you know, I talk about having too much to do with the Armenian, quote unquote, irk. You see it written that way on many pages. And so I've always just figured, well, there you go, irk. But no, that's just the root. That's not what the whole number is in the spoken language. And so it's not irk. It is yerku. Many of you have told me. Many of you have given me yergu. So erk is in there, but there's stuff on the end and even in the beginning. So those of you who are Armenians and are wondering what dialect of Armenian I was referring to, it was the linguistics literature printed page dialect where often they just put the E-R and the K because that is what is of issue. I have been reading too fast, not giving Armenian the proper respect that it deserves. And therefore, I'm not going to give it a voice. Although Armenian to me does have a voice. Armenian is a contralto. Armenian has the manner of the Ramona character in Saul Bellow's book, Herzog. I've got a whole voice worked out, but this week I'll just leave that alone because I have dissed Armenian enough. Also, a lot of you have written me about Joe Penner. (laughs) All I can say is, yes, (laughs) He died in Philadelphia. Anyway, back to the Love Me, Love My Pekingese. Here's the soundtrack that I can pretend is in my house, although it just occurred to me. It genuinely just occurred to me. I could have this soundtrack by just playing the CD in my home. I don't have to bring an orchestra in or pretend. But in any case, you can reach us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, <laughs> oot, go to slate.com slash lexiconvalley. Thank you to Mike Volo, especially for editing it to make it sound like my life is a musical in 1936. And I remain, as always, John McWhorter. Stephen Colbert says, everybody should listen to the Slate Political Gab Fest.
If that isn't recommendation enough, here are some other reasons. Slate's political gab fest should be a part of your week once a week. It's really smart, and the hosts push each other to defend and explain the ideas they offer. They don't just nod along with one another in an ever repeating echo chamber. The political gab fest also gets into the legal and philosophical dimensions of politics and the three branches of government. And from time to time, they debate important topics like is it better to be a dragon or a unicorn? Check it out every Thursday evening.